Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you guys are doing well. I am sitting here actually for the first time in like a pretty long time sitting at a desk to record this episode because I'm oftentimes sitting on my floor in the city or I'm in a hotel bed like propped up on pillows or something but right now I'm sitting at a real live desk my elbows are propped up on a table like it just feels right I feel comfortable my back is being supported like what a crazy thing maybe I need to get a desk in my apartment I actually had one when I first moved in and I got rid of it because I realized that I never used it and I often would just like pile things on top of it and it wasn't really being used as a desk. It was more so just like a throw all, you know, where all the things live that don't have places to go or they do and I'm just lazy. So I don't know if I can be trusted with a desk in my apartment, but for the next two weeks, we are living a life of luxury with a desk here in Montauk. I'm actually sitting currently in my bedroom here in our Montauk house. Myself, Brooke, and Danielle, the gals on the go, we have a house for the next two weeks. We're here in Montauk, and I'm so excited. It's just, it's a different world out here. It's so quiet, so peaceful. I actually have had a hard time sleeping the past couple of days just because it's so quiet. I'm so used to the street noise, especially in my apartment. I live like on a pretty main street, so it's constantly buzzing and loud. And so this is just totally different. You can hear the crickets. It's like we're in actual neighborhood, but also in the Hamptons. So there's a lot going on. We're so excited for the weekend. Our friends are going to come. We're going to have an amazing time. I'm just loving it here. It's such a luxurious place, (laughs) but definitely only getting a taste of it only here for two weeks, but I'm going to savor every single moment. I'm loving it. We're going to another restaurant tonight that I'm so excited about. So lots to look forward to here in the Hamptons. I'm going to keep you guys posted on any happenings, any conversations that I really want to share and talk about. Hopefully I'll bring them to the pod. So anyway, today's episode is actually going to be pretty relatable. Honestly, something that I've wanted to talk about for a while, but I didn't really know where to stab it. You know, like it's a very large, broad topic, but like, how do I get into the topic? And it actually just so happens that a couple of you guys sent me some amazing stories that really tie in to what I wanted to talk about for so long. So it's actually so perfect. We have a really interesting subject today that really revolves around wellness and what it means to actually achieve wellness and to be well because now it seems like everyone and their mother is trying to profit off of other people's search for wellness and you know all of the various lifestyle brands out there that are claiming to help you in some way but really like is it just a money grab like what is it all about, you know? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the extremes that people have gone to for wellness, for beauty, uh, as well as a really interesting story from history that I knew nothing about. And I was just telling, so the girls, we were in the pool just now and they're like, Katie, what's thick and thin about this week? And I gave them the rundown. I like told them the story in the pool and they were floored, like shocked that this is something that we in modern times know so much about or like, you know, it's something that's very common, yet no one knows the origin and how kind of crazy the story is. So I know it's so broad, but we're going to get into it. So buckle up and let me just kick it off with actually something I was talking with my friends about last week. So not in the Hamptons, but prior, uh, my friends and I were having a really interesting conversation that I feel like every friend group or not every friend group, but a lot of people you know, women our day and age end up talking about from time to time. And 
It's body image. It's thin, skinny, privilege, things like that. And I forget where this conversation originated from. It might have been a TikTok or something like that. Like I often find that my friends and I will send TikToks back and forth and have like full-blown conversations about them, which honestly is like probably a good part of the app. I feel like it really does get people talking about subjects that maybe they wouldn't normally talk about. Like TikTok is really like there's really nothing that someone on the app has not delved into and unpacked. Like it's very hard to find a single thing that no one's spoken about. So a close friend of mine, we were having this conversation about body image and about the different, you know, body types and how you're treated, things like that. And a close friend of mine, she's naturally super thin. And she was saying that when people look at her, they always assume that she has this like super polished routine of daily exercise, you know, maybe like Pilates because she actually has like ab definition and maybe, I don't know, tack on a diet to keep her in shape. And like that is the reason for her body. And people always ask her what her secret is. And she says to them, you know, I have good genes. And that's literally it. Like she's very honest about it. She's not one of those people that's going to be like, well, here's my regimen that I do once every three months. And I call it a regimen like, and I tell people that I do this. But she's like, no, I have good genes and I'm very lucky to have good genes. But in reality, like she has not been to the gym since freshman year of college, you know, and she's very honest about it. I'm not like no shade. She is always the one that says this. You know, and her diet is often like, you know, eating fried foods and whatever she wants. And she still has this super thin body that a lot of people would equate to being the ideal, okay? A lot of people, not everybody. But something she said when we were having this conversation really stuck with me. She said, I have the kind of body that people assume resulted from a healthy lifestyle, but it didn't. Like people tend to focus so much on what is on the outside, most of all. That can be applied to so many different conversations, but people are so focused on the result and they often infer how you got there. You know, they're going to assume that one or how one looks on the outside is directly related to and is the product of whatever is going on inside. So like you must look this way because you have these habits, X, Y, Z, whatever, okay? You know, the the foods that people eat, the diet that someone follows, the specific foods someone cut out of their diet or how often they exercise and what exercises do they do. And it's the same way when you see someone, you notice someone maybe from your personal life, someone you hardly know, some influencer you literally barely know, loses a ton of weight you, I mean, I've been there before. I've wondered, I've genuinely wondered, okay, what did they do? I mean, I have definitely obsessed over body image and weight loss. And I guess this is a good time to say, if you have any triggers in this area, please take that into consideration. But I promise this episode will give you a lot of insight because this is just my general thought process around all of this. And I would say I have a very healthy body relationship now because of these realizations I've made. So Anyway, just kind of to get to the the meat of what I'm going for here, kind of setting up the story, a lot of people assume that how someone looks on the outside is directly related to what's going on inside, okay? And people feel like they need to invest in all of these wellness products, the goop and the poosh and all of these different habits and the crazy things that you eat and cut out and do and all of these hoops you have to jump through in order to achieve ultimate beauty and righteousness and I am better than everybody else-ness. And you can do all of these things and it still might not result in what other people look like when they do the exact same thing. And I've seen this on um, Instagram and TikTok all the time. It's like, 
even if we all exercised and ate the exact same, we're just not all going to ever look the same. Like there's just no possible way without maybe like intense plastic surgery that all of us are going to achieve the exact same build, even if we were to do the same exact things, adopt the same exact habits. And I think that that hearing that was game changing for me. And it's not meant to be like a damning thing, like, oh, you're just, you're fucked. It's more like we are all different and why are we so obsessed with becoming the same? Why do we all want to become the same? Like, where's the science in that? Or where's the psychology in that? Like, why why do we live our lives so desperately wanting to look like that girl on TikTok and wanting to look like that other person when it literally, it shouldn't be possible. Like, it's not naturally possible. In all cases. Anyway, so we're going to talk about wellness today and about the wellness industry and about the humble beginnings of it and how it's just absolutely mind-boggling how people will spend for beauty and to somehow be better than everybody else. The reason why a lot of people spend on these things and these gadgets, these creams and pills and procedures that someone told them would do something, would promise these magical results. There's not a ton of science in many of these things. I'm being pretty vague with this, but a lot of the stuff that you see on the internet, like this magic thing will do this to you, or like if you drink celery juice every day, or like all these things, like a lot of this stuff is just maybe for one person, it cleared up their skin. And so now everyone's like, ooh, I got to try that. And I think it's just the hope of it all. You know, we're all very hopeful that if we make one change, our whole life will change and we'll be better. Like this could be pertaining to many things. Like if you are single and you think, oh, once I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then my whole life will be better. My whole life is on the brink of change, I just have to find this missing puzzle piece to my life and everything will change. And I think the same goes for people that are obsessed with the wellness industry of it all and think, oh, if I buy this one cream or this one crystal or this one vibrator or whatever, all these things like my life will ultimately change. And maybe for some people it will, but you can't put all of your hope in things that cost all this money. That's just my thought. Okay. I think the wellness industry is interesting. And when I was in the pool, I believe the girl said that um, Emma Chamberlain did an episode on this stuff. So I really need to listen to that. I probably should have listened to it before this. Anyway, today we're going to talk about wellness, about what it means to be well and what other people have thought it means to be well. We're going to talk about the lengths that people will go to for a cleansed body, soul, and mind. A little bit about the humble beginnings of things like cornflakes and a little bit of sex or the lack thereof and, you know, all that and more wrapped into one in today's episode of Thick and Thin, which is going to be kind of all over the place. I have a lot of thoughts. So, okay, top line question, what is wellness really? What does being well even mean and why has it become almost this sort of popularity competition and contest as of late? Like why are we obsessed with watching people on the internet that have these polished wellness routines and why are we so obsessed with the celery juice movement and all these things? Like an endless, it seems like an endlessly deep hole that so many people throw themselves and their money into in the hopes that we will all achieve this ultimate greatness, this peak coolness or at least just keep up with the Joneses in a way, like keeping up with the people on the internet, you know? So I read this article by this writer named Amanda Mull for The Atlantic. I'm going to have it linked. It's really interesting. So she said, Goop, 
So going back to Gwyneth Paltrow's wellness brand, Goop, a one-stop shop for people hell-bent on perfecting themselves, I thought that was a really interesting line, has helped sell Americans on the idea that wellness means buying things until you feel better. So this is an article in The Atlantic. And Amanda, she, the, the writer of the article, tried out $1,200 worth of Goop products and reported her findings on all the products and things and just her overall thoughts. It's a longer article. I have it linked in the show notes. It was very interesting. But that one line that she wrote really stuck with me. Wellness means buying things until you feel better. Buying things until you feel better. And I'm thinking of all the times that I've ever felt like I was personally in a slump, like a wellness slump, meaning like maybe I thought I was having gut problems and like overall mood problems or my skin was really freaking out. And I'm like, okay, my first thought wasn't maybe I should do some things that are free, like drink more water, spend a little bit more time resting and less time pulling all-nighters and things like that, you know, things that maybe would be the key. But my first thought was, okay, how can I throw money at this problem? Which shows privilege. We're going to get into that. But the fact that I thought, okay, what do I need to go buy at the grocery store? What do I need to eat right now to make this better? What do I need to cut out of my diet? What do I need to do? In the sense of like things that typically cost money. Whose wellness and whose diet guide am I going to purchase from the internet? Or who am I going to take advice from that ultimately results in me probably having to buy a pill or something or a vitamin or something like that? And I, I thought of that. I'm like, wow. That, I feel like that's just capitalism (laughs) and what the world tells you is the method. Like if you have something wrong, oh, just don't fix what you already have. Go buy a new one, you know, which again, privilege, again, how I've been raised in a way in a status where I am able to do those things. Granted, I'm going to the store and buying like celery, which is like, you know, but still the fact that I have the convenience and the ability to do that. But okay, so much of what we do in this life, in this world is for obviously achieving this sense of like, I feel like my life is together and I'm feeling peak wellness. Like I look and I see in the distance what that could be for me if I did X, Y, Z. Like I always think there's all these things I have to do to get there. And one day I'm going to be sitting happily, calmly in like a meadow somewhere, just loving life. And like, you know, I always visualize this, you know, in peak spiraling mode of my life is out of control. I feel like I don't have any control over my life right now. I feel sick or I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Like that's when you start to feel kind of ungrounded in that way. So a lot of our goals, a lot of what we do is rooted in wanting and chasing that feeling, that security. But also a lot of what we do is for the aesthetic. You know, the aesthetic is part of that, I think. And I read the other day, this is actually a little story that you guys are going to find interesting. So I read the other day about this extremely poisonous plant. Okay. (laughs) It's a really poisonous plant and it's called nightshade. And if you guys our recent Girl Scout graduates, uh, you might know this. I I do kind of remember learning about this in the Girl Scouts. They took us out in the woods and we're talking about all these poisonous plants and tried. Honestly, my daughter will be going through the Girl Scouts because I did learn a lot. Like I learned how to spot poison ivy and stuff like that. But there's this plant called nightshade, which is also called the devil's cherries. And I believe this is actually primarily found in Europe. But I know how I knew about this is because in Shakespeare's Macbeth, the Scottish army actually defeated the Vikings by um, putting this plant in their liquor. 
So nightshade, that's how, anyway, that's part of the book. But the devil's cherries, it's called this because it's a sweet tasting fruit that comes from its, you know, the stems of this plant and it's a purple black berry. So it looks kind of like a cherry, I guess, in a way. It looks like something attractive, like kind of scary because maybe like a little kid or someone would think it's a berry and try to eat it, but it can be fatal. So keeping this in mind, where I'm going with this, in the Victorian era, the beauty standard of the time, which I think looking into old beauty standards is the most interesting thing, it was the, quote, dying of tuberculosis look. Like ladies of that time of the Victorian era wanted to appear weak and fragile and have these big watery eyes, which (laughs) the weak and fragile line just got me. I'm like, oh, they want to look like they can't, you know, hold a candle to a man. Okay. Sounds like the time. Anyway, so to achieve this look, the tuberculosis look, they would put this deadly plant, the nightshade, into their eyes, okay? They would actually like put it in there in the evenings. And I guess it resulted in like the body was pretty much rejecting the plant because it was bad, you know, and they got these big watery eyes, but they definitely knew that it could cause blindness, but they were willing to risk it for those dilated pupils and watery eyes, that hot look of the time, which is appalling. So, you know, the aesthetic, people will do really anything for the aesthetic sometimes, even if they know it could hurt them. Also during Victorian times, I found another little tidbit. Bavarian women would often submerge themselves in arsenic to achieve a milky white complexion. And the toxic bath that they were literally submerging themselves in made them look ethereal and glowing. But unfortunately, the women who did this were also poisoned, so it probably wasn't worth it, or at least I wouldn't think it's worth it. The lengths that people will go to for the sake of their outer appearance, like the things that people will do, poisoning their literal insides for the sake of their outsides, it's just, it's crazy. So anyway, okay, segueing, I have to tell you guys about a place that you won't believe and a man that took wellness and spending to achieve wellness to scary heights. Like you're just, you're not going to believe it. Like I said, I was telling the girls in the pool earlier and it's just like the most interesting story. So it starts with this guy named John Harvey Kellogg. He was an early 20th century doctor who came with quite the reputation. He typically dressed in this white suit, had these nice dapper white shoes and oftentimes had a matching white cockatoo perched on his shoulder as he went about his day. And yes, he is that Kellogg, John Harvey Kellogg, the cornflakes one. So an article on history.com that I found that I'll have linked describes John Harvey as a widely respected physician and popular wellness guru who had many forward-thinking treatment ideas and many that now appear downright wacky. Kellogg was kind of a Gwyneth Paltrow of sorts, like he saw himself as this health reformer, fighting to improve the body, mind, and soul. He wanted to do this through this program that he called Biologic Living, which he created a whole institute of sorts around. Like It was called Battle Creek Sanitarium, and it was America's most popular medical spa of the early 20th century. And it was considered this national holistic wellness destination, a combination of a medical center, a spa, a hotel, and you are going to die when you hear about some of the procedures and practices that were conducted here. Like if you think today's wellness industry is interesting, buckle up. 
So a little bit more background about Kellogg, which is kind of a weird story. He was very committed in his personal life to the body, soul, mind improvement. And he was a strict vegetarian, but also celibate. So did not have sex despite being in a long-term marriage. Him and his wife actually never had sex. They slept in different bedrooms. They adopted all of their children. And he was a vegetarian largely because he convinced himself that eating meats and spicy foods would increase the sex drive, like increase the desire for sex. I wonder if he knew about aphrodisiacs. Like I would just, I wonder. Anyway, so it'll make sense why I'm telling you guys this information in a second because Kellogg's celibacy actually led to two very widely loved and used inventions that are total household names now that you would never know were created because of a lack of sex, like you never would have thought. So instead of indulging in meats and spicy foods, Kellogg prescribed himself and his patients a bland, tasteless, super boring diet containing mostly whole grains and nuts, which sounds like my personal hell. But he was constantly taking all of these foods and trying to do something interesting with them, trying to find a way to spice them up, given the fact that they weren't very interesting. They were, he was trying to combine them in different ways and do things. I don't really know. I guess he had like a kitchen of sorts that he was just always experimenting in. So he attempted to invent the ultimate anti-sex food by mixing cornmeal and oatmeal into dough. And then he added nuts baked them into biscuits, and then crumbled up these biscuits into pieces. And he called this invention granula. But unfortunately, at the time, that name was already being used by someone else with a similar product, and that person threatened to sue him. So Kellogg ended up changing the name of this concoction to granola, which, uh, yeah, that granola, like the one that we know today, <laughs> like that's that's where it came from, I guess. And then, okay, to take things further, Kellogg and his brother, who was also super interested in the wellness space to the extreme. They experimented together with different kinds of bread using whole grain dough to make these thin rolled sheets of toasted crackers, you know, like for the anti-sex thing. So one day they were working on this. They had just cooked up some wheat, you know, super exciting. But then they were unexpectedly called away from the kitchen for some job or something. They had to leave for a hot second. When they got back, they ran the cooled wheat that had just been cooked through some rollers And each grain was flattened into an individual flake. I guess it was overcooked or something, which was not their desired result, but it interested them. And in 1898, they tried the same process using corn instead of wheat, and corn flakes were born. Hence, Kellogg, the name makes sense now, another household product, another invention made from a severe lack of sex. (laughs) Very interesting. So from there, him and his brother immediately began serving cornflakes to their patients at the sanitarium as a method of cleansing their bodies, reducing the sex drive. Who would have thought? And by 1930, the Kellogg Cereal Company was the largest breakfast cereal maker in the world. And today, Kellogg's cornflakes are the best-selling breakfast cereal in the U.S., So the more you know. But anyway, let's talk more about John Kellogg's sanitarium wellness retreat hotel situation because some of the stuff, like what was on the menu there, was a bit out there and something that I just, it's just interesting. And it really just goes to show the lengths people will go to 
the money people will throw at problems because they think it'll somehow solve everything. And I do want to say, I just want to throw in my opinion here for a second, because obviously I don't think it's a crime. It's not anti-human at all. If anything, it's the most human thing ever to be influenced by things. I think that when you see someone have success with something, it's natural to think, oh, well, what if I try this? Will I? I think it's the obsession that's harmful. If we're obsessed with the next big thing that we should ingest that has no scientific backing and we think that, oh, because this person does this, it's the same like if this person jumped off a bridge, would you? I think it's coming up with a a healthy balance of it, knowing that a lot of it is BS. Like I think the wellness industry and the things involved in it are a lot different than like the basic things that you need, like shampoo and conditioner and face wash. And, you know, I'm talking about the stuff that you're going to inject in you or do that just at first glance, you're like, hmm, I don't know about that, but I'm going to do it because uh, I think it'll make my skin look better. You know, things like that. So it's all about just having reeling yourself in and realizing, wow, this is maybe getting out of control, like my obsession with certain wellness procedures and things. And that's just like how I try to view it. I try to just think, okay, do I need to do this? Do I need to spend my money on this? Or do I think it's going to solve all my problems? Because if I think about it like it's going to solve all my problems, maybe that's an unhealthy view. Maybe I need to work on mending whatever's happening inside of me and why I'm feeling insecure. Like, why am I feeling insecure? Let's get to the root of that and talk through that talk to a therapist, talk to my friends, maybe just give it a day and sleep on it and maybe I'll feel better. You know, it's things like that and figuring out the actual methods that's going to help and not just the areas where you can throw money, you know? That's just how I see it. That's my two cents, but I want to read these things. So I'm going to link this history.com article and you guys can read more of them. So the number one practice that Kellogg, you know, he encouraged at this sanitarium, which Really, there's an ad that's in this article, and it looks like a giant college campus, to be honest with you. It looks like it's a resort of sorts, and there's like (laughs) golf clubs on this, like a tennis racket on this ad, and it's in Michigan, by the way, the sanitarium. I don't know if it's there anymore, but there's like sports there, also bath facilities and all these treatment rooms and a dining hall, all the things, okay? So the first thing that Kellogg really prescribed to people in order to achieve wellness is chewing. So (laughs) there's this man, this health expert that Kellogg really respected named Horace Fletcher. And he advised that people should chew each bite of their food at least 40 times before swallowing. So Kellogg would often have these dinners at his sanitarium and he would sing a song that ultimately would encourage people to chew 40 times before they swallowed. Chew, 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 that is the thing to do, which is interesting, interesting, interesting. This one made me gasp, okay? So (laughs) he would prescribe 15 quart enemas. So it is what it sounds like. So he was kind of obsessed with baths, this guy. There's a whole other section in this article about how he prescribed different baths to, like taking a bath pretty much, like a basic bath, to solve all of these deep ailments and cure depression, things like that. But he thought that you, he said, quote, more people need washing out than any other remedy. So he went beyond the typical enema, which might involve like, you know, a pint or two pints of of water. But His were administered by special machines that, according to the article, were capable of pumping 15 quarts of water per minute into the patient's bowels. He also was an advocate of yogurt enemas. So 
this guy loved his yogurt and granola, but also yogurt enemas, which just sounds like it would hurt. I don't know. That doesn't feel right. He also prescribed essentially the equivalent of sitting in this wooden cabinet of sorts, like not a huge space. You'd be in this wooden cabinet, either sitting or laying down, and the cabinet was lined with light bulbs. The artificial light, like not even just going and sitting outside, but sitting in this cabinet and the light would somehow cure all these things like diabetes, insomnia, syphilis, and even writer's cramp, which I assume is something like related to carpal tunnel. I don't know. But it was called the electric light bath. So, you know, (laughs) Kellogg had these out there ideas. He had good intentions, I think. He wanted people to feel well and do these things. I truly am curious about how expensive it was to go to this place, like this um, retreat. Like on his advertisement, it said, get away and rest. And these people went here to treat all these ailments and thought that this was a one-stop shop for solving their problems with wellness. Like I think (laughs) Kellogg walked so Gwyneth Paltrow could run, you know? And the the people with the wellness blogs and like, just try this thing and it'll change everything. I just, I feel like a lot of ailments, obviously not like actual diseases and things. A lot of the mental woes of like, I am going through it right now. You don't need a light bath or an enema or (laughs) to chew. Like that's not going to solve all of your problems necessarily. I think it's a mindset thing. I mean, obviously therapy really helps with all these things and some medications for those who have conditions that require them. But I really do think a lot of it is just reframing how we see the world and what is really necessary, not just because other people are doing it, but what will actually help me. And it's hard to figure out those things. And I truly think that therapy has helped me figure out what those things are in me. But the wellness industry is just such an interesting thing. And a lot of it can be seen as such a money grab. And I'm like, what is real? What is not real? And with every passing year, it feels like there's something new, a new trend, a new fad, something that people are doing on TikTok to totally change the way they live. And I just find it hard to believe that one thing or like trying this one thing will change everything in my life for the better and I'll be I'll just be fixed like I think a lot of what we do in this life is just taking the issues and the things that happen to us as they come and it's truly impossible to live a life fully of ease like and of no problems and of not going through it it's just some people choose not to show those things and choose not to talk about those things and I think the secret is realizing that everyone carries heavy baggage Everyone carries insecurities and everyone has days where they really just don't feel like they can do anything to contribute to this world. And it is sad that people go through this, but I think it's a human thing. I think that we are constantly struggling and then picking ourselves back up and it's courageous, it's brave that we do this and that we find the ways to mend ourselves. It really is a beautiful thing when you realize, you look back and you're like, wow, I got through that. Like I was going through this hard period of time and it wasn't this one thing that I did that changed. It was slow but sure me making slight lifestyle adjustments in the way of like, do I tolerate these bad friendships? Do I tolerate this relationship that isn't good for me? Do I talk to myself this way every day? Like it's the way that you talk to yourself. It's the way that you 
compare yourself. I think comparison has really, really rocked me in the past. And I think it's carving out some time to make these realizations and to stare at them and say, I'm not afraid of you. You are not going to ruin my life. Like you are not going to ruin my day. And this, this mentality has been something that I've worked on and it's not always perfect, but I think People have said like, oh, you're glowing recently. Is it because you're working out? And I'm like, yeah, maybe that's part of it. But I think it's really been the mental work that I've put in to figure out if I'm going through a weird, sad time, what triggered it? Why am I feeling this way? What can I do to help myself? And if I can't figure out what to do to help myself, I either talk to a therapist, I talk to a friend or a family member or someone, and I just lay it on them and see what they say. And They might not prescribe me a miracle product. They might just say something that completely reframes what I saw, the insecurity in myself, what I saw, and it makes it a lot less big and a lot less scary and a lot less this is the end of the world. And I don't know if that made any sense and you guys might disagree with me, but that's just like my thought and reading about all this stuff. I'm like, wow, it's scary out there, all the stuff that you think that you need to change everything. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to live a bit more simply and focus on my, the necessities and the things that will make me happy and that I know make me happy and not living life in like full excess, but doing things that make me happy and not treating myself per se, but just treating myself well. (laughs) And yeah, it's just, it's those things. It's the little things oftentimes, but Yeah, does that make any sense? Did I just like ramble into nothingness? Like, please let me know what you guys think on this topic. And I'm I'm always interested in hearing you guys' thoughts. So let me know. Thank you guys for listening. I have to get ready for dinner now. And I'm going to go eat some amazing food, which I know always makes me feel great. I love eating good foods and trying new things. I actually just tried oysters for the first time. Um, Kellogg is rolling in his grave at that one, the aphrodisiac of it all. But I tried oysters for the first time two, three weeks ago now, and I really liked them. So hopefully I'll get some in the Hamptons. I'm actually trying lobster for the first time. I'm going to really coax myself into trying it because I've always wondered about it, but I've never tried it. And I feel like this is the perfect place to do it. So anyway, that and more, I'm going to talk to you guys next week and update you guys on more things I'm thinking about over the next week. But thank you guys for listening. And I will talk to you guys all next Thursday. Bye. Bye.